What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome to the inaugural episode of the Livingston Experience, named after the great Cliff Livingston himself, and I'm going to get into the reasons behind the new podcast name and behind the inspiration of Cliff Livingston, but first I'm going to welcome in my co-host for this evening and every week on the Livingston Experience, coming to us from an undisclosed location on the northern <laughs> beaches of New South Wales, uh, Darren Hill, how are you going? Are you ready for the latest lockdown? I can't taste my food, but yeah, I'm 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 ready. I'm excited. Um, yeah, mate. I mean, lockdown couldn't happen at a better time, right? Uh, I think Warriors and Nets tip off in about 12 hours from now, as the time we're recording. So perfect timing, Daz. Yes, I mean, uh, could you still at, uh, at uh, Double Donuts uh, cases, Daz? I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying uh, that <laughs> in case you're thinking about moving back to the eastern suburbs where things are a bit safer these days. But let's get into the reason. Now, a lot of our, our loyal listeners, they might know us as Daz and Daz from the Daz and Daz NBA podcast that we did for a number of years. We've decided to change it up, though, uh, in more recent, uh, for, for the 2021 season. And the reason being, we really want to just focus on talking about basketball and talking about what we enjoy about the game. And I think... That was one of the, and the reason I went with the Cliff Livingston and you were straight on board with that was, he was a guy that I always remember being on the end of the bench, but just the most enthusiastic guy on the bench of those Chicago Bulls teams, uh, those sort of early 90s Bulls teams, and you would have seen him in the last dance if you watched uh, the, the documentary about those teams, and he was so enthusiastic and you could just tell he was a guy that loved the game of basketball and he never took himself too seriously. He was actually a very good player as well, had a, had a career in Greece as well as with the Atlanta Hawks. So what are your memories of Cliff Livingston, Daz? And, and I guess, how do you feel like Cliff fits into the way we want to talk about the game within this podcast? Yeah, I love it. I, I My backstory for why I'm all aboard this idea is the, Right, especially as a Bucks fan, we've had a let's just call it a terribly cynical off season, right? Highly emotion charged and you know conspiracy theory and the world's against us, right? And and that of course always in the broader context of the stuff that even might I I fully admit you know to at times falling into the you know the all criticism no solutions camp where it's so easy to say fire John Horst or why did Vlade do that or right? The buds rotations are ridiculous or right. Just criticisms without really solutions. It's just actually exhausting and not very fun. And probably the last part for me is the, why I love my feeling was like the towel waving. I go, I'm, I'm finally fully full blown with this off season dad as exhausted that the regular season doesn't matter. I'm so exhausted of that thought process I'm exhausted of the conversation. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by it. And I'm exhausted by the fact that the transaction engine and the league trying to rip Giannis away and, and, or whomever the next star is, they're trying to, are going to try to rip Carl Anthony Towns away. No doubt. I'm so exhausted by that, that conversation where if you don't live in a big market or you're not focused on the second round of the playoffs, then you're stupid. 
and I go, or you don't matter. And I'm just going to, I think that's probably where you and I find, finally finding, I think this sort of common ground, like, I'm sorry, the games matter. Competition matters, right? There's 29 markets every single year that will have an amazing NBA product for, for, for the most part. And it's just not good enough that we don't, you know, celebrate um, what's fun about the game, why we became fans and why we actually love it and why we, we do things like league pass ratings. We're just too caught up in the, you know, in the other stuff. And so that's why I'm so on board with, let's just talk about what we love and the highlights. And it doesn't mean we won't occasionally get in and do some self critique, but I, I certainly want this to be, you know, like, like you said, 90 plus percent, you know, celebrate what's great and what's working. Well, it's become very much not, not what's reported is what's happened on the court. You know, what people are interested in and what people are interested in yeah. reporting about is off the court. And even to the extent where the confetti hadn't even finished falling on the bubble playoffs and, you know, the Lakers with a really impressive uh, NBA championship. And it's, it's all, let's talk about LeBron versus Michael Jordan and the GOAT debate. And it's like, can we just talk about what just happened on the court? And, the, you know, as I said, I thought it was a brilliant playoff series, which we'll get to, as, as well as a magnificent effort by the Lakers to go through the playoffs the way that they did. And it wasn't just LeBron, you know, there's there's an Anthony Davis story, there's a Frank Vogel side of that story, you know, there was the great run by the Nuggets, all these sort of things that just basically got pushed to the by the wayside so we can have this totally redundant debate about who is the greatest player of all time. And it's just, you know, it, it was so off-putting to me. And then, of course, a day later, you start talking, well, who's the, who's the latest superstar that's disgruntled? Where's the next big trade going to come from? Who's going to join Kyrie and Kato? Blah, 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 blah. And it's nothing to do with what's happened on the court, nothing to do with what will happen on the court. It's all this sort of transactional nature uh, of the game. And I think I'm happy that we're going to sit there and say, you know, let's push back on that a little bit because I think... It's up to the fans of the NBA at the end of the day to say the games matter and we, this is what we want to hear about and this is what we want to show that we're interested in. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people in NBA media now and indeed a lot of NBA fans are not necessarily basketball fans. Does I think they're more fans of the drama and they're fans of the sort of almost horse race aspect of who's going to be putting these rosters together rather than actually what's going on on the court. So I think we're much better off celebrating what that is and, and we picture ourselves as that Cliff Livingston character on the end of yep. the bench waving our towels, getting excited by if a guy has a hustle play or getting excited by you know the, the big Giannis dunk or you know the great blocks or whatever it might be. That's what we want to get excited about. We don't want yeah. to get excited about, oh, will Dame Lillard put in a trade request or where's Bradley Beal going to go? That that sort of stuff, that doesn't excite me. That doesn't really interest me at all. Um, I'm more, I'm much more interested in what's going to happen on League Pass day yeah. to day. So, and I think we we sort of touched on this through Daz and Daz when we used to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we've sort of seen in the past week. And I think we can probably start doing that a little bit more, but maybe we'll we'll focus much more on the good. We'll kind of ignore some of the bad, and we'll laugh at some of the ugly, aka the Cleveland Cavaliers, as we go into yeah. um, this season. Uh, and, and really start enjoying and getting our teeth into some games and, and 
you know, what, why we always have supported this game and, and love the game. It's not been about the, you know, what's happening off the court and trade demands. And that, that does sort of go back again to that Livingston era where this sort of stuff really didn't happen. Like it was, it was much more about the games than about who's going where and, and when and, and who's disgruntled and who's not. So that's sort of what we want to capture, Daz. I, I want to start, we, we, we are going to look at the, the season ahead and what we're looking forward to there. I want to start, though, and I, you're probably not quite as excited to talk about the bubble and, and the playoffs and everything like that, given what happened to the Bucks uh, in that time. And I, I'm interested, you've already touched on the fact that uh, Bucks Twitter's a dark place. Uh, I'm, I'm going to touch on that myself uh, as, as time goes on in this podcast, and it's probably going to be a theme that, that does pop up on occasion uh, within the pod. But, I mean, do you agree with me that... Th- that playoffs series to me was as enjoyable a playoffs as I've seen. Maybe going back to the sort of Barkley '93, Barkley Suns '93 playoff edition. I mean, there were just to me so many great series, so many iconic moments from that playoffs, and I just feel it was so disappointing to see it lost so quickly. But did you agree with me? There was a great playoff series, or were you sort of checked out after the Bucks imploded in round two? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think going into the bubble, I was very much um, of the mindset, and we we talked about this, where I said um, there cannot be an asterisk on this, right? Once the ball is tipped in the air and the league decides it's a real game, right? It's it's game on, and and we saw that play out, right? Thank God, right? Number one, no one no one of of import tested positive whilst in the bubble, right? And so I know we had a couple things with, with Trez and um, uh, a couple others. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Lou Williams, yeah, kind of things, and uh, but for different reasons, but not while staying in the bubble. So um, I was, remember also, I can't believe it was only a few months ago, but the, we were at the peak of social justice and injustice and um, Black Lives Matter and all those things were surrounding the league and part of the conversation of go, no go. And, and so the mental toughness or the ability to block things out around that context and to survive for the, I think it was 93 days all up that I heard Ben Golliver stayed for 93 days. So you reckon the teams were pretty close to that, maybe just slightly less than that. 93 days in a hotel room, Daz. Um, the mental toughness it took to do that. And that's why I will not take away and diminish. And I won't, again, this podcast, I'm not going to talk about the seedings of the teams the Lakers played. I'm not going to talk about how many non-Hall of Famers, you know, LeBron didn't have to go through, you know, to get the title. I'm not going to talk about it, right? Because I saw firsthand, we saw firsthand, particularly the Bucks fan, the team who stood up. Um, and in real time, we saw these young men processing these travesties as they unfolded um, and right protesting and walking out, right? There were, there were so many things to focus on that made the survival in the bubble hard enough that absolutely full credit to you, to the Lakers in that regard. As to the quality, so that's definitely col- column A. Also column A would be, um, forget the Lakers for a second. They didn't really play much interesting close basketball right let's be honest that there was not really they weren't really challenged the most interesting for me the best quality games right were of course utah denver uh then of course denver clippers 
And I, there was a lot of, I, I really enjoyed um, as much as it pained me, just more out of curiosity, you know, Toronto and Boston played a hell of a series as well, Daz. And so two of the you know, top teams in the East, it wasn't just the Nuggets who were clearly the darlings, I think, of the entire bubble. And absolutely high quality playoff basketball, no question, no question about it. So, well, um, you mentioned Ben Gulliver there. He had a real Cliff Livingston moment himself of, of just a guy that loves the game. What he was doing in those games was he would he would run up and down the court, and so that as the players went off, like either team went on offense, and he said that the the wives and the families of the players were getting so pissed off at him because there's this random guy running up and down the court, particularly during timeouts, to just make sure he had the best spot to watch that. And I thought to myself, when he was saying that, I thought, I could see you and I doing that if we were in the bubble oh. uh, as part of NBA media, just running up and down, making sure we had the best oh, view for no each doubt. play. I have way too much, you know, Irish Catholic guilt. I couldn't have done it. The first sort of dirty look that one of the wives gave me, I would have cowered in the corner and said, Daz, go on, you go for it, mate. Yeah, so let's be very clear. You would have been my human shield there. So yeah, credit to Gulliver. Well, let me pick yeah. out a couple of great moments from the bubble. I saw Daz the greatest inbound play that I've ever seen in the history of the NBA. If there's been a better <laughs> inbound pass than Kyle Larry to OG Ananobi in that Celtics oh, series. God. So yeah. set the scene. If you remember back, it was game three. They're down 2 0. They had a lead in game two and blew it, the Raptors. They had a lead in game three and seemingly blew that. They're down by two. There's 0.5 of a second left. Just enough time to get off a shot because we now know you can't get off a shot in 0.4 of a second. Uh, unfortunately, too late for the Spurs in 2004. But uh, OG goes to the corner. Brad Stevens brings in Taco Fall, who hadn't played all game other than for that moment. And it's not the mm-hmm. f- and it's not the only that this will come up again. Guys going to big dudes um, at the end of games and they're blowing up in their face because that happened to Mike Malone as well, which we'll touch on. But talk, I mean, did you see? I saw the play live and I it was one of those plays where it is just so perfect. Like Larry throws the ball in, it comes to Ojananobi at exactly the right position for him to shoot it. Like if it's literally an inch higher or lower he's not going to be in shooting position to put that ball up. And he just puts it up wide open and nails the three. And all of a sudden it's 2-1 and it's game on. And then they, of course, took game four as well. And that ended up going seven games. But what did you see that play live? And what, what were your thoughts when well, you actually saw it? Of course, Daz. And that's why I go, I think you're, you've already testing our um, Cliff Livingston, the Livingston experience here taking us back, well, I don't know, was it a hundred days ago <laughs> in this one play in this one game? So I love that it's, yeah, we're going back to happy times. Absolutely. It was a cross court pass as well, Daz, right? I absolutely remember that it was, it was vintage and it just, you know, it, um, so it was beautiful and it was perfect. And it was like, you know, I, I always love to sort of see um, uh, wonder boy, Brad Stevens push the wrong buttons every now and again, yet come away. <laughs> unscathed although he got a fair bit of flack for that play i gotta say but again not celebrating the losers here das beautiful play perfectly drawn up and you're exactly right you know aaron Rodgers couldn't have threaded one to Devonte adams better than what lowry did to og 
But well, um, a couple yeah. of other moments too, like you had the Mike Conley miss shot in Game Seven, which oh. was literally like it seemed like it was three quarters of the way down. It was after, right on line. Yeah. After uh, Tory Craig. Uh, who's now on the Bucks, I believe, isn't he? Uh, Tory Craig has uh, inexplicably tried to lay it up and missed the layup. It was the most, it was the craziest last 10 seconds of a game seven that you would ever see because Utah inexplicably don't foul and then Tory Craig tries to lay it up and misses it and then they throw it ahead to Conley. Conley's got enough time to put the three up and it's literally three quarters of the way down and then rims out again. And oh my God! That sure was just just collapsed on the floor. Um, so that was uh, that was about to say I was so ready to click send. I go that would have been the most Nuggets ending ever, right? And you, it can go back to Daz and Daz episodes. I think between episode I don't know, thirteen and eighty three, just about how how bad Nuggets execution has been in fourth quarters in particular, but. Mm. Yes, that was a vintage, vintage where you could just tell the exhaustion, the pressure, like it just, these were at that point, they were purely running on instinct, weren't they, for that last 10 seconds, and I go, that's, that for me is some of the beauty of the game as well, as much as we love to, you know, analyze and critique and, and replay and what if, and, you know, we're constantly, constantly going on about results rather than process, and I go, that's just one of those beautiful 10 second moments where that was just, that was playground times. Like the better team's going to win here and something goofy might happen. But uh, I gotta say my heart was broke. I was, I was, um, I thought Utah deserved to win that series. Um, it was one of those moments where again, part of the, uh, part of the, I'll just call it the sad part. He's no players like, you know, Ben Simmons you know, couldn't be there. Boyan Bogdanovich in this case would have made a tremendous difference. I think for Utah, well, you talk about sliding doors moments. I mean, there's a moment in game one of that series where Utah have the game in their keeping and Donovan Mitchell just inexplicably takes a, a, um, a eight-second yeah. violation, a backcourt violation, just total brain failure in his part. I mean, he scored 50 points in the game, in that particular game, so it's hard to be too critical of him. But that that really did cost them. I mean, that was a massive momentum swing because Denver hit a three from the ridge of play, etc., and they ended up stealing that game one. That that series could have been a sweep, and then we're not talking about Denver. So it's yeah. an interesting this line does. Another thing I loved as is looking back on the human moments because there's still a human element to this game that we often forget about. And and I'll give you an example there. Game four of the Clippers. Uh, actually, it would have been game five. Sorry, of the Clippers Denver series, and the Clippers are up double digits, right? About seventeen points or something yep. at this stage, and Marcus Morris starts talking trash to Paul yes. Millsap, right? And Millsap gets pissed, right? Who Millsap had been a total non-factor up until that point, and Millsap just starts hitting threes, and I think he hit like three threes in a row, and all of a sudden, the Clippers are a little bit nervous. Marcus Morris shuts the fuck up and we're away. And the comeback is on in game five, which of course we now look back on and they did the same thing in game six and the same oh. thing again in game seven. But that, those are the little things. And often I think people overlook those and say, oh, that's all overblown. You saw it in the moment. That was the beautiful thing about the bubble. Because there's no music, there's no crowds, there's none of this sort of other noise that goes on off the court. You're picking up, and I felt like we picked up on more of those sort of little moments that happened 
uh, across across the playoffs than what we otherwise would have. I mean, did you did you pick up on that one as well when you were watching uh, that series? You're now you're now reminding me absolutely, Daz. I, I was actually I remember watching that game here, um, and that was you'll also um, remember that in the middle of that run. Millsap himself drilled at least two threes, maybe three. I couldn't, but he, he drilled two threes in that run. Right. And, and Millsap to that point had been kind of a non-factor and anyone who's played the game, even if you peaked at say North Sydney bears, Australian division two, like I did was the highest level one ever achieved. Like those, those things are very, very real where the competitive trigger just flips or you get a little bit pissed, or there's something that rallies rallies a team around, and that absolutely was a, a trigger when um, the sixth best player with the you know the one like Marcus Morris going off and flexing just for the ultimate professional the gentleman like Paul Millsap, like it was just complete misread uh, by Marcus Morris, but very very much on brand. For Doc Rivers and Marcus Morris, right? Just let your emotions out and let it flow, sort of stuff. So I go in in a way. That's a beautiful way to also say, right? That that did kind of symbolize a bit of the Doc Rivers era, right? In 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 L.A. and his um his inability to meld, you know, the the new kids who just came in and just take over the place, right? PG thirteen, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, brand new Clippers here to give us all a title and the rest of the 12 of you on the roster, you're just, you know, we'll take you along with us. He never was able to bridge that gap. And that's why uh, I think he was also trying to go down fighting with Trez in part to help bridge that gap, even though Trez was getting put on roller skates and clearly wasn't himself. Mm. And so um, anyway, you're bringing a whole bunch of amazing memories. From well, here's another one in the bubble. Yeah. Here's another one. I saw, I still believe it's the greatest block that I've seen in a game, particularly given the, and I understand that LeBron's block in game seven of the NBA finals was more uh, iconic and, and more important within the moment. But this was Eastern conference finals game on the line. Jason Tatum goes up to do a massive dunk and Adebayo just, literally took it out of the rim and just shoved it straight back down his throat. One of the most vicious yeah. blocks. And it, but also given the game situation and given how well Bam Adebayo played in that series, I thought that, that to me, there was two or three moments within the playoffs that really stood out. Uh, the, the one that, the other two I'm going to get to in a second, but, that that one to me was almost the iconic moment of the bubble. Did you again? Did you see that one live? Um, and, no. And am I am I being hyperbolic to say that's the greatest block I've ever seen? Because I just, I'm I'm struggling to think of a better one. I know Davis Bertans once blocked Zach Randolph, which got me out of my seat when he was on the Spurs. But apart from that, does I can't remember a block uh, getting me that excited in the moment. Yeah. Look, obviously score and context and pressure and what's at stake all matter, right? Which is like LeBron's, it will be, be very difficult to beat if you're just talking, right? You That's know, the most the, iconic the, block. The, yeah, for yeah. sure. But yeah, it's up there for sure. I mean, and certainly in the, in those, those, um, these two current versions of those franchises, absolutely huge. And, and that's part of what um, I think is, uh, 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 
as a, I don't know, part of what's lost, right, in today's, you know, today's narrative around, you know, um, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and stat chasing, you know, MVPs, and the sixth man of the year always tends to go to the player who, instead of being like the great, you know, Manu Ginobili or a deadlift shrimp who come off the bench and, and change the game, right, they're just, you know, guys who aren't good enough to start in the NBA, but they're confident chuckers and they get points. That's who wins six man of the year. Now it's nice that we have some moments like, you know, Rudy Gobert signing for $200 million and the ascendancy of Bam out of bio and that block you're talking about. And a player like Giannis, who's MVP and DPOY where I go, let's fly the flag for defense. Daz, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'm with it, buddy. There's as, there's almost as many emotional, um, you know, momentum changing in game sort of iconic moments on defense as there are our big shots if we if we take the time to look at them. Mm. And the, the last two really uh, iconic moments, I think, from those playoffs, and, and really I summed up the story of the playoffs, was firstly from the Nuggets, Jamal Murray had a Jordan-like play. I don't know if you remember this one, Daz, where he goes up for the dunk and then sees LeBron there and then takes it into his other hand and lays it up, which was just an, an amazing play. And he had some amazing stretches actually in the Western Conference Finals, but he ended up he ended up rolling his ankle in Game Five and sort of ran out of gas. And then uh, Jokic had the brilliant end to Game Two, where him and Davis were sort of dueling back and forth, and that led to the probably the biggest moment of the playoffs to me anyway was when Davis hit that three uh, to beat them and get them get the Lakers over the top in game two. And once they went 2-0 up, it was always you know, a big hill to climb for Denver. I thought that was a pretty competitive five-game series, actually, up until probably game five itself, um, where LeBron actually finished off uh, the Nuggets in game five. I think he scored like the last 17 points in the series in the end and just said there's going to be no comeback this time. Uh, nuggets, but and mm. just final point on on the Davis three again. It went back to they brought Miles Plumley in, hadn't played much in the game, totally ice cold. He missed his assignment, and Anthony <laughs> Davis ends up. But but I mean that was a game where honestly, you know, there was three or four things that happened that you were just like Denver, like the the play before. I think Danny Green got blocked, and then the ball was about to go out of bounds. Uh, Jamal Murray looked and tried to throw it in to uh, to Paul Millsap. Millsap drops it and it goes out. Like if if Murray just throws it up in the air, does Denver win that game? And it's one mm-hmm. all, and you know mm-hmm. it's, it's a much different series from that point on. It's just little moments like that. You know, there was two seconds left. Davis hits the big shot, and that was sort of the the moment for Anthony Davis where yet he's arrived as a, I mean, he was already a superstar player, but then that sort of put him over the top, I think. And Sidekick once, superstar. Yeah. yeah. Very but, different job description. Let's be clear. Well, that's <laughs> right. And once, once Dragic went out, I think for Miami, the finals was always yeah. going to be a wash. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Butler had a couple of really great performances, but I didn't think that feel like there was any moment. I mean, there was a couple of moments in early in the Western conference finals where I thought, Denver could at least make a series of it. I never quite felt that way uh, for Miami, uh, simply because I think they were hobbled by the fact that their leading scorer up to that point, who was Dragic, 
uh, was out for the finals. So it was a little bit of an anti-climax, the finals themselves, because it felt like a fait accompli that the Lakers were going to win. But the basketball that led up to that, and even some of the some of the basketball Miami produced to, to stay in some of those games in the finals, and Jimmy Butler in particular, um, was still something that shouldn't have been overlooked, as, as we pointed out so much. So what what's your enduring uh, memory of the bubble itself um, before we sort of get into more of a, a preview of what we're looking forward to in the 2021 season. Yeah, it's the two memories. It's what you've just nailed one, which is the, the vindication of Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, me being a Milwaukee guy, Marquette fan, like I've been a Jimmy fan my whole career, um, immortalized in the greatest Game of Zones episode ever when he absolutely <laughs> torches the franchise. And then you know, I respect so much just how Miami beat the Bucks, and it was due hugely to, to Jimmy Butler and, and Eric Spolstra. So Jimmy Butler for me was the kind of the Eastern Conference um, story. And then the West was, it's impossible. It's all kind of in one for me, but the, the such improbable 3-1 deficit that Denver came back from, and then to do it again, when no one, I think we'd all kind of written off, oh boy, that mountain's way too tough tough to climb against the Clippers. Then to go down 3-1 against the Clippers and, pfft, yep, they're out of gas. To do that again, Daz, was, again, something just to watch the ascendancy of Jokic um, and just the the mastery and the is almost just a maestro, isn't he? We just haven't seen anything quite like that. It's even like prime Vlade Divac and this Kings didn't run their offense, you know, through the high post, the way that Denver does. There's something elegant and beautiful about the high pick and roll turning into a short roll and the high post actions. It's just beautiful, beautiful basketball. And it's so unique. That's part two a, and then part two B of course was the dueling. How, I mean, if you had to pick actually one moment, it's Mitchell and Murray uh, mm. Mitchell versus Murray. Like, that for me will live on and should live on in history is one of the most unbelievable mono a mono big basket for big basket. Like did they both have two 50 point games in the same series? If I'm not mistaken, like just that, that itself was um, Dame and Steph couldn't have out, you know, not outdone what those two guys had done. It's that's how spectacular it was. And it wasn't, they, they weren't, um, those weren't like 11 for 33 nights, you know, the way Harden and Russ. No, they were in the flow of the offense. That's they right. were in the flow and these guys were hot there. You know, I'm, I would bet they shot 50% from the floor in all of those 50 point games, if not close to it. So that's my kind of big three takeaways. And on the court, obviously off the court, then it's everything that the, you know, George Hill and Sterling Brown and the Bucks did, you know, with their with that protest, which will, um, you, you know, I hope history looks back on that as a um, as a positive moment for, you know, the league trying to raise awareness and, and the league supporting the league really supporting their players in a way that just we haven't seen, you know, pro sports leagues do in America for for quite some time. So. Those are my big stories. Well, I think it too, it, it showed that the big man is back and Jokic yeah. and AD are almost now the two guys that everyone's going to look at in the league. And that's why Miami have such a great advantage to have a guy like Bam Adebayo there and obviously the Bucks with, with Giannis. You now need to have a big guy 
that you can leave on the court at all times. So uh, it's, it's going to be very difficult uh, to compete against a Jokic and an AD. And this is what the Clippers found with, with Harrell. Eventually, it called up with them not having that really good big man. And whether a bark's going to be the answer or not for them this year, we'll wait and see. And I think the thing with Jokic is... I kind of get the feeling we're seeing what Abuda Sabonis would have been like had he have come over to the NBA in his prime because there's always these stories of what he was like and we sort of saw it a little bit in the Olympics at times. But they said if this dude had have come over in his prime of the NBA, and remember, yeah. he very nearly won a title post-prime with, with Portland. People forget how close that team was. Uh, they completely um, crapped the bed in 2000 against the Lakers. Uh, when they were well up in, in Game 7. He was still a really good player at that stage of his career, and his knees were buggered. I think he had back problems then as well. See, the, the, what I'm sort of hearing is what we're seeing from Jokic, that was very much what you saw from Sabonis back in the day in that high post where it's really... And, and at times, you just got to shrug your shoulders with Jokic and Murray, and you know, it's unguardable. you just got to hope that they start missing at some point. Um, and, you know, obviously, defensively, you can you can get sort of go bucket for bucket with them, which is what Utah did and what Lakers ended up doing much more uh, effectively. And obviously, having AD there was was a big advantage to them as well defensively. So they're the sort of I think that the return of the big man was something that I really liked to see because it's something that's been overlooked. Uh, the importance of that. Uh, through through the last few years, I think in the NBA and certainly through the Warriors run, uh, you mm. know where they're running out big stiffs uh, at centre that um, really should should yeah. be quickly forgotten yeah. in NBA history. Let's let's look forward though, Daz, to the twenty 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 one season. Now you've given me a list of a few things that you're interested in, some things you like. I'm going to sort of dance around a little bit. It did it did interest me that. I've used the wrong word there in the sense it, it fascinated me that the things that you said that you're interested in, it's yeah. all it's all duos. You so say you're yeah. just it the duo is back. It's not the big three anymore, it's now a big two. And you've sent me the list of KD and Kyrie, Trey Young and Capella, uh CP three and eight and Russ and yeah. Beal, and then you sort of said just kidding on that one. But uh Ja Morant and and Ivor Clark or, or Jaron Jackson Jr. What 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 is it about some of those duos that you're really interested in seeing uh, this season? Well, part of it was that we we kind of know the the usual suspects in terms of it's the time of year we go. Okay, who's made the big off season moves in terms of roster changes? Who's reloading for a championship run? And and those stories are. You know, these teams just finished up playing, and so we, we know where the Lakers are at. We know the Clippers just re-signed Paul George, and, you know, Kawhi's there for at least another year. Plus, we all know what the Bucks have done. You know, Philly's gotten Daryl Morey, right? Boston's pretty much the same. You know, Toronto's in transition. Houston's blown up, and, you know, kind of, we know. Like, we just kind of, there's not a lot of mystery there, Daz, right? It wasn't like that previous season you've got, you know, Ross and CP3 and Kawhi and LeBron with AD and just these major changes going on and Jimmy Butler joining and unjoining, right? We remember our heads were spinning with, you know, just generic NBA power rankings were just in a tumble dryer. I'm like, yeah, we kind of know now. It's the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, probably in 
Lakers probably a tier ahead of the other teams. Yeah, we kind of know where those teams are at. So let's just roll the ball out. So what I got thinking about is, but again, in the spirit of Levingston, I go, I'm really interested in though, um, you know, how some of these pairings and how the style of play, you know, emerges in particular, right? These, these duos, and that's how my list kind of it evolved, kind of emerged kind of organically. Like I'm kind of what really interests me, and I go, man, if you're not interested, and I've had a lot to say about Kevin Durant, um, about you know him not being a leader and everything, blah blah blah, joining the 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 Warriors, you know, unhappy. But I go, guess what, right? Perhaps a ruptured Achilles tendon, 18 months away from the game. And getting someone who's, uh, you know, close to him like Kyrie and DeAndre, I go, perhaps, right? Perhaps we're going to see, you know, uh, neutral to happy Kevin Durant. And, man, if you're not curious about how KD and Kyrie can play on offense, and man, then I think you're not interested in basketball. Because put aside the drama, put aside the, you know, the, the bizarro coaching world they've got going on there. We just want a coach who doesn't coach us. You know, I, it was a, the essence of their quotes, wasn't it, Daz? But I'm just so interested. Even if you get 80% Kevin Durant, the gravity he plays, that he can pull um, the defenses. If Kyrie is engaged and motivated, not asking, you're not asking him to uh, lead or create a culture for a team, but just to go out and Uncle Drew ball it. I think we all we forget, right, because of, again, how much Kyrie's public persona and what he says doesn't do him one a lot of favors, but two is a bloody distraction from the fricking artistry when that guy's got the ball in his hands or he's even cutting and going back door and, and movement because he's just such a quick, he's so quick change of direction. Does that for me as I go, I'm just fascinated by how Steve Nash, Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie are going to, are going to, going to play ball. So I'm not sure Steve Nash is going to have much, much impact there, Daz. I think I think he's just a guy to hold the clipboard and uh, they'll do whatever they want to do out, out in the court. That's probably by design uh, there well, at the Nets. Well, yes. Well, let's, let's focus on the positive here, Daz. <laughs> I go, let's think in the affirmative, right? Which you go, well, Luke Walton just held the clipboard and the, and the Warriors went, what, 25-0 and 0 or... 39 and three or something in his or whatever that was some some crazy thing like oh but there is some value let's put some value on the I coaches think he'll be a player's just coach. personalities and yeah i think he'll be yeah. a player's coach in the similar vein to ty Lu, uh and, and and there's value in that that's not to say that that's you know there's he does they won't have any skills as a coach or any knowledge of basketball or anything like that but um, no, yeah. i don't, I don't yeah. think you're gonna see a lot of x's and o's uh, no, but know. but back to the list. It's like I, I almost don't care. Like I just I go I just want to see what these two guys can do. Two so uniquely talented, and you know these are top what top one hundred all time type players, if not you know top twenty or something like that for Kevin Durant. Right? These are just uniquely offensively skilled players, and I kind of go again if you put away all the attitude and drama and coaching and whatever aside. I'm fascinated by what they can do on the court. Yeah, my concern is uh, for Durant, this is not a guy... I think the the ideal thing for him is probably going to be to just go out there and ease his way back into it and maybe just stand and shoot for a little bit and, and sort of play... Um, you know, a decoy to some extent. But I just don't think he's built that way. I think this guy's going to come out there and 
try and go at, go at it 100%, which is kind of how the injury happened in the first place. Whereas, you know, there was no way Kevin Durant's going to go out there. And I know it's the NBA final, so you're not expecting he's going to do anything else but that. And But I think that's just the way the guy's built. He's a competitor. He's going to go out there and try and give it his all. And I wonder if, I, I just worry he might push the body a little bit too far before it's ready to be pushed, particularly given the truncated off-season we've just seen where you've only got three pre-season games and now you're straight into a game against the Warriors uh, of all teams uh, first yeah. up. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll yeah. be interested to see how, how, how Durant's managed uh, in terms of minutes and how he sort of manages his own play within the game and whether he does actually manage that or whether he tries to get back and say and make a point and say, I'm, I'm Kevin Durant, I'm back, and mm. everything's going to be back to normal. So that's going to be interesting. And obviously him, him and Kyrie, their games, um, look, theoretically they should, they should mix. Uh, oh, should be beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they can keep the off-field distractions to a minimum, um, there's no reason why this team shouldn't be pushing pushing right up into the top four oh, uh, in the oh, Eastern Conference yeah. if, if they yeah. can stay healthy, and that's that's obviously the big if. Well, a, a funny little thing just on that when we can move on is that, um, you know, because of this weird, um, right, you know, because of the weird COVID situation still happening and uh, the media don't have access, right? The media aren't there in the locker rooms yet, right, Dad? So they're still doing Zoom interviews when the players you know, have their um, availability with the press afterwards. And I'm not sure if you saw this, but um, I forget who the, who the guy was, a reporter, just some polite, you know, some, 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 some guy, I forget his name, but Kevin Durant comes to the podium and none of the other media members had logged on yet. So this guy, this guy's like, Oh, I just keep asking questions. I was like, yep, go for it. You know, (laughs) no one else is here. It's just this really great little exchange. James, but the, the 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 reporter who asked like four or five questions in a row, when he's usually thrilled to get one, you know, even get one in you know in 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 a, in a, in a session. But anyway, so that was just a, it's a funny little exchange. Or you know, I, I like humanizing Kevin Durant again. I've spent so long vilifying him. It's a nice human moment from him there. But uh, the mm-hmm. point was, the, the question was asked directly. You know, how, do you have your legs? Basically, you looked good. What's it feel like? And he's like. He goes, he goes, Kevin said, I am not there. He goes, there's no way I'm there. I don't have all that instincts and the rhythm yet. I don't have my legs under me. Um, it's been 18 months since I've had to battle and have the physicalness and right in, in the grind of, you know, obviously playing a bunch of games. So it was really very unambiguous when it would have been so easy to just say, oh, yeah, it's fine. And, you know, he just kind of shrug it off. And he was very candid about he doesn't have his legs yet so i again that's such a deep roster as well i suspect he's going to be brought along very very carefully at one of which i think we all hope he's brought along very very carefully so um Hmm. i would not expect 35 minutes a night over 65 games i would expect you know maybe he plays 50 you know i think that'd probably be a, a a good a good target but um but yeah, I, it's, if you're not if you're not fascinated by what Steve Nash, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving can do on the basketball court offensively, then I think you, you need to re-examine your love for basketball. I'm just fascinated by that, Des. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was clear number one do for me. Well, I'm going to jump ahead. I, I'm really interested in in the Grizzlies, and you, and you put the Grizzlies on your list. 
Ja Morant obviously coming into the second season after winning Rookie of the Year. But Jared Jackson Jr. is the guy I'm really keeping an eye on. This this dude's grown two to three inches in the off-season. Now, I know he unfortunately starts the season injured. He'll be expected to be seen at some stage in January. But I think this guy could be a real boost on both ends, uh, particularly given the range of his shooting. Plus, could we please see Justice Winslow get healthy this year and see some basketball out of him, uh, as, as well as guys like Dylan Brooks, who made a real loop last year. I'm, I'm going to love to see what uh, what they're doing. And, and uh, Jenkins, isn't it, the coach, and, and what he's able yeah. to do in year two. I think they're one of the, to me, and I, I, I remember I gave you my league pass rankings. I'm not sure if I even had the Grizzlies there, but as I've reviewed it and getting ready for the season and the Spurs play them first, um, I'm really interested to see uh, what the Memphis Grizzlies bring to the table this season because I think they're going to be a must-watch uh, many, many nights on, on, uh, on league pass. 100% couldn't agree more. I think it's that if you... Pardon me. If you listen to Chris Vernon, right, the iconic host of the Mismatch, right, they're now talking about getting their own feed. Like we're no longer you know, held down by our corporate, you know, obligations to us. We can just do our own thing in the Livingston experience. But uh, he's talked a lot about um, what he's seen um, from Jaw in in the off season, and it's and again talking to the coaches. Obviously, he's there every single day. And it, it sounds like a player who's really wrapped his head around what it, what it means to be a lead guard in the NBA. And so it, the excitement, if you can imagine, right, that athleticism and explosiveness and that confidence and that playmaking now a bit harnessed. Like we're all kind of secretly hoping he doesn't turn into, you know, Derrick Rose or Russell uh, Rest. God, I can never say it. We hope we don't turn into Westbrook. Yeah, we hope he turns into his own version of a, you know, um, that that freakish athlete from the one who, but also has got more of that uh, a distributor leader, you know, make everyone around him better type of player. And so I, again, talk about exciting player with the ball in his hands. Maybe that's the theme of my duos here, Daz. Mm-hmm. That's got to be one. But also, again, I, I, I added um, Brandon Clark to my duo list there because JJJ, um, is probably going to start the season on, you know, uh, injured. He's recovering from that meniscus. And boy, do I know knee injuries well. And the meniscus is a really tricky one. Um, if you don't get that that, that 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 surgery just right, it can just, it can linger. But, uh, and Brandon Clark, right, who in very limited minutes was extremely efficient last year and was looking like a steal of the draft at wherever he was chosen on the 21st overall pick. So I think he's going to get a lot of play early in the season next to big V. And so I just kind of got that. He's got that dive game um, probably more so than triple J. He's got more of the, that step out game to the, to the three point line. So again, Jay, uh, sorry, jaw with um, Brandon Clark, I think it'd be a fun transition highlight reel just waiting to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, Memphis is way up there on my, on my league pass list too. Well, you had the try young Capella and, and we did, we have sort of forgotten about Clint Capella. That's an that's an exciting guy as well in terms of a pick and roll and a rim runner uh, that you 
Yeah, that need to that's have. right. Uh, with with Trey Young, so that's going to really complement Trey Young's game quite well. And I'm interested to see if we see an uptick in efficiency. I would expect it from Trey Young, given that he's now got Gallinari, he's now got Bogdanovich uh, as as running partners and much more offensive options on the Hawks than he had in the last couple of years. Yeah. Again, I kind of going. I think we all know what Gallo, Gallo is, and we know exactly what his role will be. We know exactly how he's going to play. Bogdanovich, you know, just took the money. He doesn't probably want to be there. He's going to be fighting for minutes with, you know, with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and, and you know, even not probably not Kevin Herter, but in a way it's kind of a crowded wing there. So I'm not too interested. Like we know what those guys are, but correct me if I'm wrong. Did, did Capella even suit up? No. Like I don't, he didn't, did he? He was dealt and then didn't he was injured and then, and then COVID hit, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. And so... That's what got me to thinking. I go, for as much as we've talked about, again, we so focus on what Trey Young can't do, which is what he's great at is becoming, right? The, as we say in Australia, the witch's hat, or as Nate Duncan calls it, right? The traffic cone on, on defense. So we talk about that limitations of him, but man, imagine what how he could even be unlocked further when he's got a 1-5 PNR guy like, like Capella, who's who again, for all his all of Harden's faults, boy Harden knows how to run a pick and roll, and Harden's timing with his his pop passes right into the lane, and we forget how great Capella was as that gravity towards the rim and creating space, you know, for those corner threes. So I'm super excited for what that duo in particular, what Trey, how Trey and that offense is unlocked, and how Capella can kind of. Um, put his stamp on that front court and kind of make the, you know, turn John Collins into what John Collins should be, which is, you know, that face up kind of stretchy four, not the guy who's trying to play inside the paint. So hmm. um, I'm, I'm sneakily high on that duo in particular, not, not I'm less so on all the other peripheries off of what they did. So, hmm. yeah. I'll tell you another guy I think is going to have a much better year this year and it got me thinking about it because I think one of the things about Trey Young is he's, he's forever going to be linked to Luka Doncic who obviously Luka's much much more progressed in his career at the moment and you'd imagine it's going to stay there but Josh Richardson's a guy that I think is a real guy to watch this year that's gone to the Mavericks had a very disappointing year in Philly but was a really good player for Miami the year before that I just think in a different environment in the system that they're going to be running there in Dallas, I think there's a guy that can bring defense and knock down a good proportion of his threes that he's going to be getting plenty of open looks with Luca there. He's a guy that I'm really watching uh, this season. And I think I the, like Mavericks, the Mavericks, in, in, in essence, if Zinger can come back, uh, they're another sneaky team uh, that could be pushing their way up the Western Conference rankings as well. Yeah, I like that. It was one of those rare... Um, win-win trades, wasn't it? Where I loved Seth Curry on Philadelphia as well, just catch and shoot, right? Just give Simmons and Embiid, whomever, whether they're both on the floor, one sitting, just give them someone who can just be that thing that they've missed since J.J. Redick was was there, right? So I loved Seth Curry in Philly, and I, I love Richardson as well there. That the great is such a smart complementary skill set to Luca. Um, for his right, his defensive chops as well. He's not, mm. he's not elite, but he's definitely holds his own. Right, he's a solid, you know, guy who can defend one through three in many cases, which, which is great. Give Luke a bit of a break um, on defense as well. So love that. It's a great call. 
And the last on these duos, before we move on to the next part where you're talking about uh, what you're loving coming into the season, what do you make of the Suns? You've got the Suns as a playoff team, you think, in the West. Can they build on bringing in Chris Paul and obviously the the really nice uh, way they finished the season in the bubble going 8-0, heading into the bubble? Do you you feel like they can keep that momentum going and, and Paul takes them to another level where they can sneak into the Western Conference playoffs? I'm all on the, the Suns bandwagon towards them being, yeah, being relevant for sure. I, I don't know if they can challenge for that three seed, but I definitely, oh, they absolutely, their internal expectations, and I think externally as well as I go, they have to be a playoff team. You don't trade for a $43 million a year, you know, the point God. And what I loved about that trade is they didn't give up a ton, Daz. Like, they was Rubio, Ubre, and I think just one unprotected pick, if I'm not mistaken. So it was, uh, I think, obviously the, the market for Chris Paul, not exactly a vibrant market. Not many places can swallow a $43 million, you know, salary for the next couple of years. But um, I like that. I like the transaction. I liked that um, it's only a couple of years. Like Chris is going to run out of gas here probably eventually. And I also like that, Right, he's just going to be disciplined to Aiton, who and to Booker, right? Aiton, who um, was that just last season where he got suspended? Was he and Collins yeah. both, or was that the year before? That no, was last year. It was last year, right? I kind of go fucking hell, right? Number one pick of the draft, and you let you have that shit happen. That never happening on Chris Paul's watch, right? And Aiton, who you know famously comes in with this this amazing NBA body, but you know the desire. And awareness on defense, you know, um, slowly, slightly above Trey Young's. And he took leaps last year. I, you know, I think, you know, he got better. And I think Baines was a big part of helping, helping Aiden. But now imagine Chris Paul in your ear 24-7, right, on both ends of the floor, right? I think Chris Paul, the ultimate on-floor general, um, and unapologetically having a standard that, that he's going to to for, enforce and reinforce but Aiton, which I think can only help, right, in a way that we've seen countless others not have, right? Joel Embiid has a ton of bad habits. Why? Because his running mate wants to be famous rather than be good. You know, and Ben Simmons, that's no fault of Ben Simmons. That's just not who he is, right? And player after player, like you, the list is large, right, of young players with supreme talent who come in, don't have any discipline, right? Andrew Wiggins, no discipline, no accountability for the first X number of years. Good luck unwinding those bad habits now and on and on and on. So I think they're catching Aiton at the right time in his career to get that. So I was, I'd probably early on thought Daz that that was, they're trying to leapfrog and bypass development. But I've, as I've gotten my head around it and thought about that team, I think it's actually great timing to optimize the, you know, what could become of, of prime um, DeAndre Ayton, which if you haven't noticed, man, man, his touch does, right? If you see him like in the short roll or in transition, that guy can trail a fast break Daz and pull up from 16 and just, and just splash it. Like he's got some really amazing touch on the offensive end, which I go, man, imagine the sets that, that CP book and he can, can unleash with, with Cam Johnson. So I'm super, super high. I desperately wanted him in fantasy, Daz. Um, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't get my hands on him. But 
I'm super, super high on on Aiton and CP3 in particular this year. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not as high on the Suns. I think the Suns, I've been just scarred by watching so many bad Suns teams over the years. I've got to see it to believe it. But I will say this, a lot of people, including us, when they drafted Cam Johnson, laughed at them and shook their shook their heads. I like the fact that they backed their, backed their own judgment there and he looked really good. He was one of the better rookies, I thought, of the oh. class last year. Um, he looks like he's going to be a really strong, uh, solid NBA player. And Mikhail Bridges also, I thought, had a really nice year. Rugged, um, yeah. For them. So it's a it's a nice little roster they're building. I, I like the fact that Chris Paul, too, is not going to have to carry too heavy a load. And he's going. To, and he, we've seen in Houston, and even to a lesser extent last year when Truda came in, he's happy to to sort of sit back and let someone else facilitate the offense, which obviously will happen at different times with Devin Booker. So he's not a guy that's going to enforce himself on that end, but I think he's going to bring you some standards there that uh, that he's going to expect everyone um, you know, to, to abide by, and, and that's a good thing for that team. Can I just amplify one really Levington experience thing you said there, which is that I love teams who trust their draft board, right? And and have it hit, like exactly what you said with Cam Johnson, right? Versus what we like um, Papa Giannis getting taken, right? Like these harebrained, what the, like just these these grasping at straws picks or or what I continue to see, like the, the counter of, you know, the, the Jeff Weltman, John Hammond overthinking they think they're so clever picking all these really long, tall players and they don't mesh. They don't have developmental trajectories and they don't really look terribly skilled. Like they just feel like they're just so cool. Like we've got our thing and everyone's going to be long. Hey, you know, like just, I love that Phoenix identified a player, a very specific skill set, um, took him 20 spots or 15 spots more than the others thought he should every pundit and, I go, good on you. Good on you for having a strategy and executing a strategy. So even if Cam flames out a bit here, that's I, I, a great point you mentioned. I got kudos to the, perhaps the new the new and improved Suns franchise where they can, they got a strategy and execute it. Love well, it. let's move to the things you love coming into the season. And you've gotten here, and I'll, you'll have to explain this one to me. Everyone hates, and then you've got the Bucks. A question mark. Do you mean that they hate the Bucks roster, or do they hate the Bucks organization? What? What's? Yeah. Or have you just on Bucks Twitter, Twitter too much, and you're seeing all no. the nihilism on there, and you think well, even their own fans hate? Well, it love it love is probably the maybe not the so that first point's a bit tongue in cheek because I say love coming into the season is that right? The um, the Bucks have had enormous expectations, right? You know, certainly last year, less so that first season. Um, if we were to reflect on it, it's, it's going to be hard not to conclude that perhaps the the ultimate title window was these past two seasons and maybe the season coming up now and that the title windows actually get harder and harder uh, moving forward. And what's so ironic, right, is a team who's literally won nothing, won championship ever literally 50 years ago. And, right, so I say, you know, the NBA and the big market bias and Woj and all the stuff around Bogdan and all the stuff around the heat and the, the Raptors in particular around, you know, and Dallas, you know, 
designing their rosters and architecting their salary cap sheet to, you know, to get, to get Giannis and the 24 seven chatter for the last, you know, 12 months on every talking head on, on, on ESPN and so forth, you know, where will Giannis land? How stupid he is if he stays for a loser market for all this, you know, all the hate of, you know, of the laughing stock of how they had no plan B logged on. Like, it's just, it was where do you, wherever you looked as it's, and, and no, and don't, don't overlook the fact that everyone hates bud, right? Everyone hates bud. The worst coach can't make adjustments out coached, out coached, out coached. It's just the hatred, right? The, and I say hatred, the criticism, like there's just nothing, nothing good to say. Giannis doesn't have a shot. Giannis can't make free throws. Bud can't make adjustments, right? Drew's not the right player. It's just the criticism does is literally every single angle. And I go, you know what? This is your point. Embrace the nihilism. You know, maybe this um, us against the world, you know, that's, the, that's the only choice the Bucks have at this point is to do the us against the world. And I go, um, I'm going to have to embrace it as a, as a fan. Um, it's not how I want to be, but that's, that's the environment that the Bucks are playing in, is that there's not really, besides Ben Golliver, there's nobody out there kind of going, yeah, this team is, you know, got this young two-time MVP and uh, had um, before, before Giannis got hurt and COVID hit almost a historic net rating. That's not talked about because the regular season doesn't matter. Remember Daz. So um, that's, I'm coming into the season going, everyone either disrespects, diminishes or dismisses the bucks and eh, I'll just have to embrace it. Well, I think the bucks, to some degree, owe the Clippers a big thank you because I think yeah, that plaves if it wasn't for the Clippers collapse, the Bucks be would have been the big story, and then you kind of get this, oh well, the the Bucks season doesn't start until the playoffs start, which I guess is going to be true anyway to some extent. But I kind of feel like now the Bucks have been pushed aside to almost irrelevance in terms of what the the you know, the NBA Twitter is talking about from day to day and it's more like we've got to wait to the playoffs to see if the Clippers can you know, defeat the ghosts of, of the bubble and the Lakers are in the tier on their own and you know and it's almost like well now it's going to be Miami Philly coming up with Doc and oh yeah look the Bucks are going to win Hooper games but we already know they're pretenders so they're sort of already they're just sort of pushed to the side and I think that might be rather than having the big target on their back and everyone going like I don't know that the Clippers are going to handle that side of it that well this year, and I think the Bucks can sort of fly under the radar, get everything ready to go. I mean, I certainly have my questions about Bud's coaching as well, to be honest with you. But I think being able to fly under the radar, win a ton of games, which they will do, I think they'll almost certainly be the one seed again heading into the playoffs, and that's going to be something, um, you know, that yeah. That, I think but, helps them get the moment you, and maybe takes a little bit of pressure though, off. Do you, do you take my point though, Daz, right? And if you, if you, if you think about what you've read and heard and seen, I, you're right about, about the Clippers. And that was a, probably a bigger disappointment than Milwaukee. But when you, so much conversation about Giannis is why doesn't he leave? He needs to leave. And who is he leaving to? And when's he leaving? And he's silly. And every other big star has always left, right? That's the conversation. The conversation is also about, how he doesn't make big shots and doesn't show up. The conversation about Chris Middleton, he's overpaid. He's not Jason Tatum. He's the worst second running mate, right? The conversation, you just pick, pick your player, pick your aspect, pick your dimension, right? It's just, 
negative, negative, negative criticism, criticism, criticism. Oh, by the way, they were you know 60 and 22, and on a 65 win pace. It's like how how can you look at a 65 win team and yet the dialogue does is almost entirely what. What Brooke Lopez well, can't do, you've got to understand right? too, being in a small market, as someone that's followed a small market team that was very successful for many years, you're not, you're just not going to get any love from the NBA media. Does you are not because you are an intruder. But that that's how it's well, that's, viewed, and, that, and that's right. That yeah. that's how it's viewed, and I understand where you're coming from to say it's it's all negative. It's always going to be that way. They could win five titles in a row. And it's going to be negative, negative, negative. Well, yeah, because it's not, you're not Lakers, you're not the Celtics, you're not the Bulls, you're not the, even the Clippers, etc., etc. Like They want to talk about big market teams. They don't want to talk about the Bucks. It annoys them that the Bucks are there. And this is why you're going to get these sort of narratives um, out, yeah. outside of some of the local the local so media. You, you, you need to then you you got a few things to teach me then right so I, that's why but that's also why i put this as number one where i go this is i, I now get it and i'll feel it and, and i was i said just before we got on on the air tonight which was um if you hadn't noticed i had noticed that what's been going around uh, one of the big twitter conversations is how anthony davis he runs schools around tim duncan right? and i go to your point right you can literally create a dynasty and win five titles and just because one sidekick in a big market wins one ring you can you can literally they get the the muppets can erase 20 years history that's why i'm saying Livingston Livingston experience right the bucks are not shit tim duncan <laughs> is not and by any measure of humanity or basketball play in any measure lesser than anthony davis on any metric perhaps other than three pointers made woohoo well well done ad so that's where i go number one for me daz embracing the nihilism um i'm gonna have to own the small market usurper you know being relevant uh, being the 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 bone in the back of the throat of the nba fucking literati so yeah well you've got to block out the noise i mean you've you've got to block out the noise but i must admit i i love going on the bucks twitter I particularly my favourite Bucks Twitter handle is what I think is called Nihilist Nihilist Bucks uh, on Twitter. There's Nihilist Bucks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when they lost, so they went into the bubble, didn't play that well. Go into the playoffs against Orlando. The moment they go one nil down against Orlando, it is the darkest place on the internet. Is <laughs> Bucks Twitter? It's just like burn the whole franchise to the ground. <laughs> And embrace the void because you know, it's just it's like, true. like, and they, even oh. and from that point onwards, the Bucks fans were just like, "We're going to lose. There's no chance we're going to win this series." And it was just all just there's no hope for us. And even because I was watching the Miami series, I'm thinking, "No, well, you know, like you you're unlucky to lose game two, and you went when you went down two zero and all that sort of stuff." And it's just you get on the Bucks Twitter and it's like, man, they you would have thought they went 0-82, you know, <laughs> the worst team in the league. And it's just like, oh, it's, it must be such a, it must have been such a tough run for these last however many years since uh, Kareem bolted um, to, to LA. Well, we I go, as I, I can put on my Bucks fan hat um, and deeply empathize what it must be like to be 
you know, a 19-year-old person in this world today growing up constantly afraid of what people think of you, aware of what people say about you, what photographic evidence about you is going to be used against you in the future, and just that constancy of the 24-7 of someone's always talking about you. And, and, and actually, when sometimes it does happen, it actually does affect you. So I kind of go, this is my great empathy machine, Daz. As a Bucks fan, I'm living what it's probably what it feels like to be constantly judged by others. So this is a, this will be my my developmental year, Daz, as what's it like to be Gen Z? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daz. Look, a couple of things we'll, we'll talk about before we go. Uh, you think this is going to be a bit more competitive this year. I think that's a probably a point of difference for us. Um, that you, you think there's going to be some glimmers of confident, confidence. Obviously, Brooklyn's going to be better. We've spoke about them. Atlanta's going to be a bit better. Charlotte, I mean, you say Charlotte's been watchable. Look, I love watching the bottom part of the Eastern Conference, Daz. It's one of my favourite things. You know this. You've watched, you've seen the way I watch basketball. Nothing, I love nothing more than two bad teams being involved in a close game. Or even a bad team being involved in a close game is a good team. I love those moments. Like, you know, I'm going to be all over the Timberwolves-Pistons game tomorrow. You know, I'm hoping that's a close one because I want to see if the it's incompetence. Close, right? That's the key. That's the key variable here. If it's close, right? Yeah. <laughs> One well, at the end of three. My other favorite. Was, here's yeah. a sneaky thing to do. Go on and towards the end of the seasons, find out when fan appreciation night is, right? And watch one of the really bad teams <laughs> on fan appreciation night. <laughs> And just see the how whole... the fans are. See some of the tribute videos that they have to come up with to try and show fans getting excited about these terrible basketball teams. Like, oh my god! Could I... you imagine the Pistons fan appreciation night in about four months' time? Oh, they do. They spray the crowd in motor oil, <laughs> you know, and tar and feather them or something. I don't know what they do. That's true. They have the some of the stadiums have the wackiest, you know, like the kiss cam is pretty standard, right? But I go, yeah, I think that should that maybe needs to be a new segment on the Livingston experiences. What's the wackiest? Well, we don't have fans anymore, Daz. I get, there's no fans, so I go, maybe no, that's more that's of a twenty two season. So um, we'll yeah, I, maybe there'll be something crossed. else. No, but I, I was it was in there. I put it as number ten on my list. Like, I say COVID strategy is going to be interesting to watch how teams get really innovative with, I guess, as the vaccine's coming out, maybe there's not much innovation left, but COVID strategy and or fan engagement strategies when they don't have fans, which are going to be the really clever teams that do something to bring the fan experience. Would you buy an online seat to a Bucks game? What does that mean? Well, they mean they basically give you a video view Oh, like in the bubble part of the stadium, yes. So this this is something that they're they're very toying with. Was that oh, look, is that something uh, you'd buy? As long as, if there was a, a self promotion aspect here, Daz, where my face then would be on the side <laughs> on that seat for you know for the game, absolutely. Sign yeah. me up. Yeah, yeah look I, again, I, stuff like that I love. Yeah, that's right. If I could then, I don't know if I could um, text message chat the two people who are who are virtually in the seats to my left and my right. And I go, that for me was always the, what I remember most about my in, you know, my in stadium or in arena experiences was, was high-fiving strangers when shit goes right. You know, you and I were down watching, you know, um, you know, uh, 
boomers versus right USA basketball and in the freaking scintillating game, I'm climbing over the seats to high five strangers after Bogut set that elite pick and it trips Patty for that massive, you know what I mean? You're just, mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is. You're high fiving a stranger. That's what I miss. And that's what I guess ultimately what Twitter becomes is your, that's your virtual high five with each other. So I'm interested to see who does creative fan engagement stuff. And I'm going to plug um, number five again on my list there, Daz, which you would, ex you would respect and is very much the Levingston experiences. I'm looking forward the teams who bust ass for 72 games this year. It's no longer cool to try, Daz. It's cool to rest. It's no longer cool to give effort, right, or try in the regular season. So I mean, you know what? I'm going to keep a special eye out, and I'm going to overemphasize the teams who, who bust ass for 72 games this year. And my, my hunch was teams like Atlanta, you can bet, are going 72 games. Dame Lillard in Portland has a lot to prove this year potentially could be a bit of a disruptor if things break right for them. You know the Heat play hard, 72 games. I think you're going to see Jimmy and Bam want to consolidate and Hero and Duncan try to you know, uh, raise their status in the league. And a team like Utah, right, who's just got Gobert back. Mitchell's coming up to L extension eligible next year. I uh, re-signed <laughs> Clarkson and Boyan. You know, I got, and Quinn Snyder's not going to let that team rest. Like, that team demands... That fan base kind of demands and teams play hard. And I go, those are the sorts of teams I'm going to overemphasize, you know, kind of giving credit to this season is the, you're giving, you're giving it your all for 72. Mm. Yeah. I think the Mavs are another team I'd, I'd put into that category. Uh, I think the Lucas both. and their guy that brings it every single night. Um, another thing you talked about there was rookies going to be, I think that's something to watch because as you pointed out, such an unknown rookie class that we have no doubt on so there's going to be guys that sort of pop that we don't expect that they're going to pop uh, across yeah. the season and I yeah. think the the thing I would say about COVID is I think the and I said this to you off air I think the biggest competitive advantage we may very well see in this season is going to be COVID strategies and who which teams and which franchises are able to keep their players safe from COVID and which franchises are going to see, you know, two or lose two or three players. Because once these guys go down with COVID, does, it's going to be two or three weeks out. And then, yeah. as we saw in the bubble last time with Westbrook and Hell, they may not come back at, the, at their absolute peak either for another couple of weeks you know, maybe even a month or so after that, we're still learning so much uh, about, the, about the disease. And obviously it's, it's really out of control in the US again. Hopefully the vaccine gets us under control to some extent, but you'd imagine that's going to take about a year to do as well. So I think it's going to be, unfortunately, I'd love it not to be a storyline um, in this year, but I, I think it's almost inevitable at this point. We did see the NFL and MLB um, really struggle with this, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the NBA responds, um, actually, to what to yeah, the COVID and outbreak. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I meant by when I called it, uh, again, of celebration. So those things are going to happen. Um, but unlike what happened in the NFL, where... The, um, the godless NFL forced a team, I'm not sure if you saw this, a team like the Denver Broncos, all their all their quarterbacks were gone, right? Because they all got, they were all exposed to the virus and they still forced the, the, the Broncos to play without a quarterback. Um, and I go, that's, that's inhumane to do in football. But in basketball, right? You get any five guys 
and go, you play for 48 minutes, they're going to score 88 points, Daz, no matter who they are, right? And every now and again, you're going to get what I call the Anthony Simons game, mm-hmm. right? Remember Anthony Simons was going to be yeah. the next Penny Hardaway because when they <laughs> shut it down for the last two games of the 18-19 season, he scored like, I don't know, 42 and 32 or something like that. And I go, I think you're going to have that quite often this season. There's going to be, because of all the rest happening, you're going to see, you know, I don't know, Isaac Okoro, you know, going off for, for 35 or, you know, um, the next three Simons go off. So that's going to be to your point about you like watching Charlotte versus Detroit when it's close. Uh, I'm, look, I'm looking for the game when everyone's resting and you've got you know, some young bench mob who are basically playing like, you know, like Christian Wood, right? Just trying just to impress the planet. So, um that's going to be something to celebrate this year when the young guys get a chance and, and do something crazy. All right. Last question tonight before I get to a couple of games to look forward to in the week. And I'll, I'm, I'm sure I've asked you this before, but I'm not sure what your response was. It was Christian Wood a missed opportunity for the Bucks? I mean, what happened there when he was on, on the roster for the Bucks? He was going crazy. He was doing all these things that we see him doing now. Um, he was a dynamic uh, face-up shooter and the scorer but right when we had him this was getting ready to go all in on Miritich right it was Ursan's first year there and it was this was the first year Bud right his first year and it was all about right, this team was going to be the number one defense in the league full stop uh, no questions asked that's why DJ Wilson got run right that's why Ursan got a lot of run and they just needed that that gunner Miritich to kind of put him over the top, and so um, he just he he lost out because his his desire and his awareness on defense was was nil. But we saw all these things. Bucks fans, you go back to Bucks Twitter, Brewhoop.com is like goo goo gaga over Christian Wood because he was amazing with the bits we'd see. Then he'd go to the G League and score you know 32 points in 21 minutes. So it was a absolutely missed opportunity for sure. At that point in time, uh, a lot of us were, were going, what WTF? Um, um, but the good news for Bucks fans, Daz, is we, we have Christian Wood, and his name is Bobby Portis. <laughs> well, I mean, the one thing I'd say in the Bucks defense, it's hard when you're, a, when you're a contender, it's hard to find minutes for projects. You know, and then I think that's probably what's happened there. They sort of viewed him as a bit of a project, and and to your point, he couldn't he couldn't play defense. Yeah, play they said we want to see you make some strides on defense, and just couldn't yeah. do it. So yeah, that's yeah. what they and Bobby Portis. We know he'll bring a really steely edge on the defensive end, as will Bryn Forbes does. So um, good luck. Yeah. With that. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, let, let's yeah, move. Thanks. Let's let's finish tonight by looking ahead to the game. So congratulations on the NBA. They really have some good games um, together uh, for the first week. Obviously starts tomorrow with Nets Warriors, and then you've got Lakers Clippers. And congratulations to the Clippers as well because you finally made me support the Lakers. I didn't think, think there'd ever be a day where I would go for the Lakers ahead of anyone, <laughs> but Clippers are just um, are such a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Uncle yeah, repug- Dennis type team? Repugnant. That's the word I'm looking repugnant. for. It's such yeah. a repugnant franchise. They're going to go for the Lakers. So, but look, the the uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve Australian time games, does. there's some re- ones that really jump out to me, and I'm not just talking about the Cavs Hornets, 
which I know that you would have been looking at closely. But games like the Celtics, Bucks, obviously, Rap Pelicans, um, I think Grizzly Spurs could be sneaky good, uh, Trailblazers, Jazz, the Suns, Mavs. That's a great game at 2.30 um, on Christmas Eve. What what games have sort of jumped out to you if you've got the schedule out in front of you for the first few days yes, um, of the NBA? As I, I'm, I actually, I'm, I'm off work that day. I'm obviously probably like many people I'm on holiday and I'm going to be home alone that day. I cannot tell you how excited I am. There are 13 games, Daz, (laughs) 13 on our Christmas Eve, right? So I'm going to give you ones you're not going to expect. Of course, I'm going to watch Milwaukee, Boston, but I want to watch Washington, Philly, right? That's, that's my early game, right? Right. I want to see. I want to see Russ beat uh, Doc and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I'm like a massive Wizards fan at 11 a.m. our time on Christmas Eve morning. Um, I'll probably have a, a peek into Spurs Grizzly. You would have certainly seen that you know half the Spurs roster got signed to extensions, including you know congratulations Derek White four for 73. Nice payday for him. So I think Spurs Grizz, um, mostly for the Grizz, no offense. I want to have a look-see. And then absolutely, boy, I'm going to be toggling back and forth between Utah, Portland, and Dallas, Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. So probably probably hard to avoid, you know, Luka versus CP3 and Aiton. Um, so I kind of go, those are my three games, kind of early, middle, and late in the day. Um, Washington, Philly, um, Spurs, Grizz, and uh, Mavs. Mavs, Suns are my top three that day. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, as I said, I'll, I'll give you Spurs, Spurs, Grizzlies. But, um, you know me, Daz. I'll I'll have a little bit of a look at the the Wolves Pistons, uh, particularly if it gets close. I'll have the popcorn out. <laughs> I thought you were joking. I thought that was just a, like a random. Actually, are playing as Detroit at Minnesota. Dear me. And don't Dear don't me. sleep on the Pacers Knicks early either. And the Pacers. Oh, they I might will sleep. Yeah. They might get up big in that one. And then you can just watch the the spirits get sucked out of New York for yet another season. Look, uh, which will be I'm going to say it because see. we are going to be fined um, uh, production credits on SoundCloud if we don't mention Lamelo Ball. Daz, we're going to get fined by Adam Silver in the league. Lamelo Ball, Lamelo Ball. Oh my God, the highlights already. Lamelo Ball. Uh, if only he tried this hard when he was with the Yellow Hawks. Well, the one thing I'd say in his defense with his Hawks, I mean, they put just the worst possible team around him. Did they? Oh, Uh, right, okay. They they literally had like four centers. They signed Aaron Brooks, who needs the ball. They had no shooting. Like, you know, with this guy, you just, what they should have done. And I mean, you know, they're a small franchise, so they would have. You can't hamstrung yeah, yeah. what they could do anyway. But what they should have done in hindsight was just put some shooters around this guy and let him go to work. But I think they'd sort of put the roster together with Aaron Brooks to lead it and then sign Lamelo Ball sort of late in the piece. And sort of obviously it's, it was too good an opportunity to pass up for them, but it wasn't really a roster built to maximise his skill set, um, which oh. hopefully we're seeing, and certainly it looks like yes. that's what we're seeing. Um, you, I don't know if have you seen any of the highlights, but just the two the two plays that you just have to go watch, right? He throws, you thought Kevin Love throws good outlet passes? Oh my God. Lamelo throws one about 70 feet. Again, drops it on a dime, almost like the way you described Lowry to Ananobi. So there's one, an 70 foot, like from below the bubble. 
pull the circle to the other circle in the lane, just almost full court look. And then there's a there's one um, in transition. He's going to casually dribble me up, and he underhands almost like um, Pistol Pete Maravich style underhand 30, 40 foot pat, bounce pass that just floated quickly. I don't even forget who the cutter was who laid it in in transition. And LaMelo just kind of like, yeah, looks around like, yeah, no biggie. It's it's poetry, Daz. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a sucker for beautiful passing, right? Um, I'm a suck for it. And my goodness. Well, I think I... him and Miles Bridges are going to put some highlights together. Oh, year. my goodness. Um, yeah. That's one of the best dunkers. Best, best in-game so... dunkers in the NBA with one of the best passes already. I'm so happy. And I don't like... I'm I'm just happy for the fans. Forget the I don't care about Jordan per se, but I'm just so happy that Charlotte fans have got something to cheer for for the first time since Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. Right? It's it's he's a delight. He's just oh he's gonna make we're gonna he's gonna make us about Alonzo very quickly. I think boy oh boy oh boy can he pass the ball. Well, he's shooting all right too. He's just got a, a early days. Obviously, only a couple of preseason games, but that that was obviously the big worry. Yeah. Him, as well as his defense, and and look, he's a rookie, so we'll, we'll give him a bit of a bit of leeway there on the defensive end. Yeah. But, uh, he yeah. has all the tools to be a really good defender. Just. But just doesn't just give a the shit. Passing. So now that you know, again, I don't. I, this year one, I almost, I think it's just, yeah. It yeah, trans- you give him a pass, exactly. And think about how little this guy's played, right, Daz? He goes from high school to, did he play like 18 games with the Hawks? Like well, he played Lithuania and then he played with the Hawks. Um, yeah, now he's going to be asked to play 72 games in like 140 days or whatever. It's like, yeah. So I think just just get through it, right? Let oh, us there'll be some, there'll oh, be some amazing yeah. games. Uh, and there'll be some some really bad ones, I'm sure, yeah, amongst there. Yeah. But uh, you know, they'll they'll give him the room to learn. And um, in in Charlotte, and obviously a good coach there, and in um, James Brogo as well. So, look, I'm looking forward to seeing what the, what the Hornets do, uh, and also um, Christmas Day does. There's a, there's a good uh, slate of games, including 2:30 the Nuggets Clippers rematch. It's gonna be great to see the Clippers go Allen too to start the season but uh we can only... yeah again the world won a, bit, a little bit oh what they didn't do on christmas rather than saying what they did do right is I, I love the christmas games they're all players and teams that we want to see and and so i think this matchups are, are fantastic yeah which is yeah show me zion versus bam like who cares it's not an old rival it's fun and then right steph versus um Giannis. that's great and then Right, KD and, and Brooklyn versus versus Boston in Boston, and ah, oh, like Christmas games are brilliant. I love them. So, oh, Lakers, Mavs, and Nuggets, Clippers. I mean, that's brilliant. going to be fantastic yeah. entertainment uh, yeah. in, in the last in the last two games, and I think even the early games. I think there's there's plenty to look forward oh to. Oh my there. God, Des, and they. I just realized there's no overlap. No, no, we no. Can, you can watch back. basketball. For twelve hours in a row, oh I my have God. the I have the screen set up there. I've got the basketball takes pride of place in my house on the on the projector screen, and the cricket goes on the TV. So that's that's how it oh goes. My God. I might I mean I might get to drive down to the south <laughs> coast just for Boxing Day. You think I'm joking, man? I'll sleep on your floor, mate. We're, we're, s- we're checking postcards down here at the moment. I'm not sure. You're <laughs> that's <getting>. true. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. It's, it's my allergies, mate. It's all right. 
It's my allergies. Uh, okay, pal. All right, yeah. Daz. Look, good start to the Livingston experience, and uh, we're going to try and do this once a week. Well, no, we, we said that plenty of times in the Daz and Daz days, but we're much more committed uh, these no, days. No, it's, it's absolutely happening. And uh, so for me, right, it's that's the other thing on my list. I'm the thir- your Thursday night NBA schedule, which is our Friday, right, is I've um, – uh, I've got Fridays off now. I'm, I'm working four days a week, Dad. I go. That's going to be. I'm going to consume a week's worth of content on on Fridays, and so yes. Yeah, so I'm, Friday I'm, will be our podcasting day, and we might yeah. even do some with some games on in the background. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, and uh, I think we have to have. I think we can also we could commit to our our 114 dedicated listeners in Tokyo um, to have. Uh, guests, more frequent guests, I think, yes. this year, Daz. Yeah. Yep. Certainly, mate. All right. Well, look, good start to the to pursue. I'll look forward to the NBA season starting tomorrow, and we'll talk again next week. Oh, okay, pal. Enjoy tip-off. Thanks, mate. All right. See bye. you, buddy. Took the charge, and there was no foul call.